I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Lynn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 42, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. There has been a lot of talk about Ireland's derogation in recent times, which allows farmers to qualify to a higher stocking rate on their farm. Chagas Environmental Specialist Tim Hyde joins us to discuss derogation and the environmental standards involved. I'm going to step back a bit and go to the Nitrates Directive, uh, which applies to every farmer in the country, and that has a stocking rate limit of 170 kgs of N per hectare, which equates to roughly two dairy cows the hectare. And the, the nitrous derogation is applied every four years. And on top of that, you know, to, we apply for the nitrous derogation to allow farmers to farm at greater than 170 up to 250 kgs of N per hectare. So that equates roughly to just under three cows, it would be the limit under the nitrous derogation. Around 6,500 farmers to 7,000 farmers every year apply for the nitrous derogation. Out of a total number of farmers, about 15,000 that would be kind of stocked in that stocking rate of 170 to 250. And every year, it's a yearly application. Uh, and what happens is, you know, they seek the help of an advisor or a, a farm planner to do it for them. Uh, and there are certain rules under which they have to comply with each year to stay in derogation. Tim, I suppose we have our derogation secured, I think, until 2025. And there's a, a, a mid-review, I suppose, in 2023 with the, the recent EPA water quality report not looking too healthy. Um, does this put pressure on that derogation? It does put pressure on it, Carl. Uh, I mentioned the midterm review there, and one of the items that falls in under that midterm review is Article 12 within the, the EU regulation, uh, which refers specifically to water quality. And in that, it mentions about the competent authority will submit reports on the nitrates concentrations of groundwater, surface water, and the trophic status of surface water bodies, and, and including maps showing where those areas draining into uh, by the end of June 2023. Now, also along with that, it mentions that the average nitrate concentration above 50 milligrams per litre and the word R, and I'm going to mention that word R a few times, are increasing trends of nitrates concentration compared to 2021. It mentions eutrophic status or could come eutrophic status with a stable or worsening trend compared to 2021. So there's a lot of R's in there. It's not just and R. And it then it identifies that waters that are could be polluted or at risk from being polluted are showing worsening trends. And all of those things are in that two-year review. And that mentions then that if they're at risk or presenting worsening trends, the amount of manure that could be applied shall not exceed 220. So we mentioned that the derogation is at two, the limit is at 250 currently. And under this midterm review, going by, by what I've said there, it could drop to a limit of 220. So it would be concerning that, you know, it is what's going to come out of these water quality reports uh, over the years that we mentioned there uh, of um, where they're going to com- do the comparisons and will that eventually lead to a reduction from the 250 to 220? And like that, what really that means, that's that's uh, destocking where it will have to go down in numbers of animals, I suppose, or cows, if that goes down from 250 to 220. Yeah, and uh, look, I 
the question is, we also have a double whammy here in that the dairy cow banding, the dairy cow was producing 85 kgs of N per head per year um, a couple of years ago. This year it's gone to 89 kgs of N per head. Uh, and there is three different types of dairy cows coming into the system next year for these calculations, depending on the output of that cow. And we might talk about that later. Yeah. So there is potential then that the reduction could be just zonal. There, there is a potential to it there because it does mention some type of zonal restriction on the stocking rate. Ireland is a nitrous directive is an entire country approach. Uh, we don't we didn't go for NVZs or nitrate vulnerable zones like some of our counterparts in other countries in the EU. We went for a, an entire country, but it may come down to maybe particular uh, water bodies or catchment areas. Um, look, it all depends on how this is interpreted uh, at national and European level and how the water quality reports come out in those years that we're talking about trends. But it is important, I suppose, for farmers to keep an eye on water quality trends and like the derogation and the, the midterm review, I suppose, because we, we myself and Deirdre, and I'm sure you, Tim, you, we'd be on lots of farms and people are trying to plan, I suppose, for the future, build milking parlors, build whatever they might be doing. And you really have to bear this in mind, potentially, if stocking rates could be cut, because the only way around it is get additional land and the price of land is, is a fortune. Yeah, and look, I suppose just to, you know, yourself and Deirdre are out on the ground a lot with farmers and we need to be conscious there's been huge um, work done on farms in the last couple of years, especially through the ASA program, but also through the general derogation requirements about water protection measures, fencing off water courses, not drinking from them, moving water troughs back, having the fence one and a half metres back from the top of the bank, making sure there's no runoff from roadways. So, you know, we've done a huge amount of work. Uh, it just might take a couple of years for those benefits to be seen in the, in relation to water quality. That's true. So I suppose, you know, in terms of options for them, they'll either have to reduce numbers or they'll have to go into something like contract drying would be an option for them. Exporting yeah, slurry. Yeah, very much so, Deirdre. And look, there's three or four things there that we've done. Uh, Cahill has mentioned the price of land. Rent additional land is the obviously one option. What you're trying to do here is dilute your stocking rate Yeah, uh, to bring it below. So it's redu- rent extra land reduce stock numbers, maybe get rid of cold cows out of the system and then pros and cons for doing that when we talk to cow about cow banding, exporting slurry, um, contract rearing, as you mentioned, Deirdre, um, and, you know, you may be able to B&B or uh, put cattle into other herds for being grazed off during the summer, similar to a contract rearing situation. Now is a good time to assess your options then, really, isn't it? Yeah, very much um, so. So what system is used by farmers and advisors to ensure compliance with derogation? We have the nutrient management planning, the Chagas tool. Um, can you talk us through this, um, Tim, a little bit? Yeah. Um, so as part of the derogation every year, uh, it's required that a farmer has an up-to-date nutrient management plan. We call it the NMP online system. Uh, it, nutrient management plan is really just a fertilizer plan for your farm for the year to make best use of the soil samples that you have, the using the croppings that you have in your basic payment scheme. And it's that we, we that's available to all planners across the country, all agricultural agencies, uh, even available to co-ops, um, uh, people in college doing studying agricultural science and things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a Chagas design system, but everybody can get access to it. As part of that fertilizer plan, uh, you know, there's a, some key messages that can come out at the end of it. There's a good bit of data to be put into it, like your soil samples and your cropping and your areas, uh, the size of your sheds and tanks. 
But at the end of it, the output is you're looking at the soil fertility status of the farm, the percentage of the farm uh, that might be at P index three or K index three or four, which is optimal. Um, uh, and, you know, where you can make savings in relation to spreading P or K, you're looking at your liming plan based on your soil sample results and your pHs. Um, you know, you can look at the overall chemical fertilizer limits that you're allowed on the farm. And with this, uh, the, the department fertilizer register coming in next year, I suppose there's even more emphasis on that. You can also look at the slurry capacity and the storage capacity on farm. And it also helps you to keep an eye on the, the soil fertility trends on your farm because you have to soil sample every four years in the irrigation. And most irrigation farmers do that. And even um, uh, they, do, they shorten that down to two or three years. So they really know, need to keep track of their soil fertility because good soil fertility or optimal soil fertility at P3, K3 and good lime means you're going to grow and utilize as much grass as possible and save money overall. So, you know, um, that system that we talk about that used for compliance, it's not just for compliance, but also for good soil fertility management. Uh, and every irrigation farmer every year engages with that through their advisor. I think some of the best money you'll ever spend, Tim, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is getting your soil samples done. And we don't leave them in a jar, put them into an actual nutrient management plan. Uh, for us and farmers that I work with, being able to pull up nutrient management plan online, with all that information that you said about their storage requirements, the the animal feed coming into the farm, the fertilizer, your your new how much nutrients are allowed to spread, it's it's huge amount of data for a farmer to be able to manage the farm better, isn't it? Yeah, I would fully agree with you, Carl. And you know, both of you have been in the advisory role dealing with fertilizer plans through the years. Uh, we don't spend enough time discussing that or sitting down with the farmer or even the farmers engaging backwards with questions about, you know, this is my overall soil fertility status, for where am I sitting? It's a fantastic tool uh, and I would advise any farmer or uh, agricultural consultant listening to this call to maybe pick up the fertilizer plan that you have for your client or for your farmer. And it's a great time of year to look at well, where are you in relation to the amount of lime you're supposed to have spread? Uh, where are you in relation to maybe at this time of year, do you need to top up a little bit with potash? Um, what do I need to be thinking about forward buying maybe for my P and K compounds for next year? Do I need to soil sample again? Am I not happy with one or two fields? Should I resample a couple of them? So, you know, it's a tool that should be engaged with. I would say, I won't say monthly, but I would say every quarter there should be an engagement with it to try and get the best out of it. I suppose it's also used as a record-keeping tool as well to be compliant under derogation because these derogation farmers have a huge amount of areas that they have to be compliant in. So I suppose this time of the year, we'll be encouraging them to get together their meal statements and their fertiliser dockets, you know, um, coming in towards the end of the year so that their advisors can put together their records for the coming year. Yeah, and I, I'll add to that, Deirdre, as well. You know, uh, as part of the records that have to be submitted by the derogation farmer at the end of the year, um, when they're normally submitted by the end of March, um, let's say for 2022, by the end of March 23, you have to know how much slurry you spread by low emission slurry spreading. Uh, you have to know how much lime you had to spread. And, it, you know, there's a requirement there of, you know, 25% of your lime requirement every year. And, you know, you mentioned there about the line or about the fertilizer dockets and gathering the meal dockets, all those type of things are needed for next year's fertilizer plan and to get this year's fertilizer records into the department on time. And just for the non-farmers that listen to the show, and we have quite a few, 
Um, they're probably wondering why is it a certain cohort of farmers are allowed a derogation from Europe to stock heavier. But there is a huge amount of regulation that comes with being allowed into derogation, isn't there? There is. Uh, there's a no, There's a higher. They have to farm to a higher standard uh, in relation to the environment, and you know there are a number of measures there that other non-derogation farmers don't have to do that the derogation farmer has to take on board. Uh, and, you know, we can run through those if it suits. And um, Yeah, if you, if you have a few of them there, throw out a bit of a list there to us. Yeah, I, 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 always, I always like to say it's, it's like uh, the, there's 12 inches in a foot. There's 12 kind of things that I think a derogation farmer has to do over and above the what the non-derogation farmer has. They ha- obviously, they have to soil sample every four years. But out of that, they have to do. They have fertilizer limits for the farm, P's and K's, uh, or yeah, N and P. Sorry, uh, and they have to do a compulsory liming program based on what the soil tests are. They have to spread all slurry with low emission slurry spreading uh, for the months April to September inclusive. They have to reduce the crude protein to animals fed at grass to fifteen percent. They have to attend a good bit of training, and what we've heard back from the training is that the derogation farmers have found this as a positive thing of being in derogation. The amount of engagement they get with issues like biodiversity, water quality, uh, gases emissions, soil fertility, grassland management and measurement, okay, uh, inclusion of clover and grass seed mixtures to reduce nitrogen. Uh, farm biodiversity, so leave more hedges on the farm and cut, uh, cut them in a three-year rotation. Lead one white thorn every couple of hundred metres to go to maturity. Um, and, you know, moving, you know, we've mentioned already about the water protection ones, moving your fences back from water courses, uh, no drinking from water courses, move uh, water troughs 20 metres away. There are a lot of things there that the de- derogation type of farmer is doing over and above the non-derogation farmer and really contributing to um, the environment in relation to there's less runoff, um, reducing fertilizer usage by using lime, uh, clover. Um, you know, the emissions are brought down by using low emissions and using reducing the crude protein, you know, so and there's adding to biodiversity as well. So there's an awful lot of additional requirements on a derogation farmer uh, over and above the ordinary farmer. But what we have seen is the direction of travel the last couple of years in relation to what the derogation farmer had to do three or four years ago is now kind of coming in mandatory for other farmers. Uh, and the derogation farmer has stepped up uh, the requirements that they have to do. And that's not to say that those higher requirements will now become part of what's normality for every farmer in the country down the road. But the good thing about this is it's not really a stick to beat people with. A lot of the list that you just listed out there is um, they're hugely beneficial to the farm. They'll actually make the farm more efficient long term for the farmer and, and productivity as well as part of that. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you know, a lot of the, you know, you could nearly break it down into two things. One is about soil fertility and maximizing the nutrients on your farm that you have inside the farm gate, and getting liming right. You more better clover in the system, using low emissions correctly, having more storage so you don't have to go out first thing in the spring, but you you know you can keep it to when you need it when the grass is growing in March April, and anybody who has plenty of storage, and is using low emissions and has fertility right and the liming plan, you're you're ticking all the boxes very quickly, uh, and you know I've heard farmers say that you know maybe we were missing one of those elements all along or two of them now that we have all four in play we are seeing that grass growth has we've reduced nitrogen we're increasing the grass growth our utilization is better 
and we're saving money at farm level and also been good for the environment and gas emissions and water quality. So there's a lot of positives in it. Tim, what do you think are the consequences or what are the consequences for not meeting some of these mandatory derogation requirements? It's a very good question, Deirdre, because, you know, nearly 7,000 uh, farmers applied for derogation this year. It's been hovering in around six, six and a half thousand for the last couple of years. This year's increased a bit. I, I expect a, quite a large increase next year in relation to the number of farmers that will be thinking about going into derogation. But there are rules there that you have to abide by. And if you don't abide by those rules, most of those rules mean that if you, do, if you are caught during an inspection, that you don't have the, the rule implemented can mean rejection from derogation. Now, some of the minor ones are a penalty situation, 1, 3 or 5%, but in the majority, those rules mean rejection from derogation. Now, there is something to be aware of that's new for this year in 2022, in that if you're rejected from derogation in 2022, you always, you cannot apply for derogation in 23. So it's a double whammy. You're out for this year and you're out for next year. And, you know, in those areas where you have very high stocking rates, on all the farmers in an area, there isn't much ability to get extra land or reduce your, dilute your stocking rate or get a farm to export slurry too. So, you know, you're, you're getting hit on the double. And to be fair, any farmer that is in really committed to the derogation and being in it, you know, meeting these requirements, you get a notification from your planner or your agent or your consultant every year about what you need to do. So, you know, as long as you can tick those boxes. And I'd say, you know, we have a very good derogation uh, section on our public website at chagas.ie. Just go into the search and type in derogation. It'll bring you directly to the page. Uh, and you flick through there if you're a farmer in derogation or even considering going into it next year. Go in there and have a look at all the requirements. I've mentioned a lot of them here already. I suppose it's it's vitally important for people who are considering maybe to go into derogation that not just to jump into it willy nilly that you'd really want to be sure that you can you can comply to the regulations because if you do go into derogation and you happen to, to not comply with something and get thrown out, you're stuck and you could and, and you have stocked your, your farm to suit the derogation, you could lose anything up to three quarters to nearly an animal per hectare off your farm. That's that could be nearly thirty yeah. three percent of your of your stock your stock. Yeah, it's a very good point, Colin. You know, there, one of the main requirements is that you have to have enough slurry storage. And that is one of the thing, key things that keeps farmers from going into derogation. Uh, and you are correct. If you don't meet the requirements and, and you've increased stock to be at that stocking rate level between 170 and 250, you know, if you have to suddenly come down the year after, you are talking that, you know, it could be a, an, a partial animal per per hectare that you need to come down. But I think the main thing is here is, look, go visit our public website. We have a good bit on derogation in there. There are advantages to being in derogation because you get more training. You have more contact time with your advisor. You have a fertilizer plan every year. You know, you're allowed more chemical NNP if you're in derogation, if you apply for it. Uh, there are, you know, you can get additional P from the P buildup. There's a section in it that allows you to apply for P buildup. So there are advantages there. And like anything else, just make sure you know what you're signing up to. Look, Tim, really enjoyed the chat today. And thanks a million for joining us on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Chagas Environmental Specialist Tim Hyde for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn.
Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.